Welcome to another OUinsider.com podcast. I'm RJ Young. I am joined by OUI staff writer Colin Kennedy. Colin, what's going on, man? Man, we got a lot to talk about. I'm excited about this. We were, we were talking before the show. How long are we going? 30 minutes, hour? And I'm already saying I feel like a rant or two is coming on today. So let's get into this thing, man. I'm excited. Okay, so let's, let's start off the top with uh, the Rattler superlatives. I mean, strike was venomous. I mean, just snaky with the football. Just absolutely whipping like a King Cobra. I was using all of the snake analogies on Saturday night because it was that it was that cool to watch because we, you know, we hyped this kid and we hyped him for good reason. And there are lots of questions about is he that good? And by the end of the first half, it's not just how good he is, it's could he play in the NFL tomorrow? And that was an interesting question that I wanted to start with and that I sent to a couple of folks that watch the NFL professionally, and they're like, the thing is, just want to see him grow up. You know, you want to see him mature and see how that goes, see how he does day-to-day inside the program. So it's going to be a lot about what those coaches have to say and what folks that evaluate him that aren't from the program have to say. But for the most part, he has everything that you want right now. I don't give a damn if it is Missouri State because there are just some things that he could do that you can't teach. That was my big takeaway from Rattler. What was yours? That that was a really big thing for me is going into this game, knowing the quality of opponent and knowing that Missouri State probably wasn't even as good as the practice squad. I wanted to see him put some stuff on film that is verifiable, it's tangible results that you can carry over into other football games. And for me, as we've talked about in the past, when I'm evaluating a quarterback, I want to see accuracy. I want to see where is he putting the football because Windows are windows, no matter where they're generated from. And as a result, when I saw Spencer Rattler throwing some dots and dimes all over the field, I was incredibly encouraged. I think Rattler had some really nice plays. He was able to create and generate offense, especially in some difficult situations. Even though he had five starters on the offensive line with starts under their belt, I do think that some of those guys were struggling a little bit early on. And he made plays when he was asked to. Now, again, I mean, the quality of the opponent has to be factored and considered, but at the same time, he was dishing the ball around. Theo Weiss, really excited about what Spencer could do. Some of those other players were really impressed with what he pulled off. And I think overall, when you're looking at Rattler's performance, you just have to be simply encouraged. Now, the question, can he play in the NFL tomorrow, I'm not going to go that far because, as we've seen, the NFL is really difficult to play in. But I do think this kid already has the mental makeup and tools to play in the Big 12 Conference, which is saying something. So as a result, I'm really excited to see what Spencer does moving forward. And I think you saw a quick glimpse of what he can do in some pressure situations, even though it probably wasn't the consistent quality opponent that he's going to be seeing the rest of the way. Absolutely not going to be the quality opponent that he's going to see the rest of the way. And we'll get into that, I promise. I promise. But it was, it was really great to see Marvin Mims have a day. One of the things that I took away and from the, the notes, actually, was Marvin Mims came within nine yards of tying Joe Washington for the most all-purpose yards by a freshman in a career debut. Joe Washington went for 157 his first time out at Oklahoma, and Marvin Mims goes for 148, 80 yards receiving, of course, His first catch is a 58-yard touchdown from Rattler. Averaged 22.7 yards per punt return. He was my guy to watch going into that game. I'm glad that he had an opportunity to show out because it's one thing for me to continue to just tell everybody that Marvin Mims was that dude 
at Lone Star Frisco. And to see how his entire story has evolved has been fascinating. I mean, this time last year, he's committed to play at Stanford. He's about to play his second game of the season. And just four months later, we're talking about decommitting from Stanford quietly, reaching out to just a handful of coaches quietly, one of which is OU, to say, hey, I'm, I'm back on the market. Do you want me? And Riley said, absolutely. 2,600, 29 yards receiving? Damn right I want you. And then you look at his measurables, a 4.6740. You don't see the blazing speed. You don't think of Charleston Rambo. And you certainly don't think the punt returner. And yet, him back there looked natural, looked smooth, and looked confident, which, you know, I'm watching Monday Night Football. Right? And Deontay Johnson is shaky at best. Muffs the first punt, doesn't know what he's doing for the second punt. And I was just thinking about how Marvin Mims looked like he'd been doing this his entire life. And that was awesome to see, especially with the connection that he's had with Rattler, because I think you would agree with me. We expected Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, Theo Weiss, Austin Stogner to have that relationship with Rattler. And what does it say about Marvin Mims that they've been able to do that in quite literally... 14 practices? 15 practices? Like, because nobody got a spring game, right? So it's quite literally them, them just making this up and Riley putting in some scheme that benefits both of them. Yeah, and I think this just says a ton about Marvin Mims and who he is as a person, not only as a player. I, I was so happy for him. Obviously, you try and play the unbiased card when it comes to these games and being analytical, but anyone who's been around Marvin and covered him throughout his recruiting process knows the kid is second to none in terms of maturity, intellect, knowledge of the game, and just being a leader. And I think Marvin to be this good already in that first game, that says a lot for me. And, I mean, not only was he impacting the offensive game, obviously with that big touchdown reception in the second drive for Spencer, but, I mean, for him to have 60-plus yards punt returning as a true freshman, that's a really big deal for me. If he can impact – two of the three facets of the game, the Sooners just got a massive boost on the roster, and he's going to be here for a little while. I think Marvin, he's fascinating to me because there were people in the state of Texas evaluating him who told me, oh, that kid is second to none. And some were like, well, I'm not really incredibly high on him. And I think it was always really kind of what he looks like on paper, right? I mean, he's not the biggest dude or the fastest, like you mentioned, but if you know who he is, above the above the, the the heart i mean the guy has so much knowledge in his brain and then you factor in what's in his chest the guy is never afraid he's always going to step up and take on that leadership role and apply his knowledge in those difficult situations and i think that's what really helped him get through these past few weeks of practices and then put it all together on the field marvin is going to be an impact player this season I have no doubt about it. And this was only a glimpse of what's to come in the future. Now, he's going to see, obviously, much better opponents. And maybe those punt returns will be near as easy when it's a little bit different coverage. But at the same time, he's already grasping things that you have to apply at the D1 college level. And it's only going to get better. That's why I'm so encouraged by Marvin Mims. And when I factor in the, the brain and the heart, I mean, Marvin's going to be such a good player for the Sooners. I'm excited to see what he does as a true freshman this season. Yeah, man, he showed out. Charleston Rambo did what we expected him to do. Watching Lincoln Riley put two H-backs in at inside receiver was also kind of cool because you got to see Mikey Henderson, got to see Stogner, you got to see Jeremiah Hall. But the surprise for me, as much as it can be a surprise for me, is Seth McGowan because I really expected Marcus Major to have the kind of game that Seth McGowan ended up having. 
So knowing that you got a true freshman that has that is phenomenal. Knowing that you get Ramondre Stevenson back probably in the next four games is better. And knowing that you probably get TJ Pledger back for Kansas State is even better. Do you think we're going to see as much Seth McGowan or Marcus Major in the future as we saw against Missouri State? I think the Kansas State game is going to really tell us a lot because, as I mentioned in the postgame pod, I really do feel like this running back room still has yet to be established. From a role perspective and an alpha perspective, I don't think that much is certain when it comes to this group. And I think what Seth McGowan did on Saturday night kind of fueled that fire. I think not very many people expected him to put on the performance that he did. But in the end result, I mean, the guy was the dude to lean on, averaging 6.8 a carry, touchdown on the first carry as well, becoming just the seventh you know, you football history to score on his first rushing attempt. I mean, McGowan can be that guy, apparently. And if you know that, then why would you make the decision right now to completely factor him out? I don't think the Sooners were really necessarily considering McGowan as a true contributing factor moving forward. But, I mean, you can't ignore what he put together against Missouri State. So, as a result, I'm still expecting this to be a wide-open rotation, aren't you? I think. These guys are going to be able to really establish themselves in practice, and they're going to have to fight to get on the field come game time. And then once we really see how they try and put together some carries against the Wildcats, I think we're going to really learn who they trust as they get into the thick of the Big 12 Conference. On the other side of the ball, the first shutout pitch by an OU defense since 2015 when Oklahoma beat Kansas 55-0, and the first in a season opener since 2013 when Oklahoma goose-egged ULM. Again, FCS Missouri State, not just an FCS squad, but a bad FCS squad, 1-10 last year, with a new head coach who didn't have any time to install much of anything. That said, seeing the goose-egg at the end of the game is a big deal to me because that means, one, you got enough depth to keep up with FCS Missouri State, which you should, and two, your kids were engaged enough to feel prideful enough to not let Bobby Petrino's offense do much of anything. I mean, they gave up 135 yards total all day as Grinch basically threw everybody in there that he could. Like, during the two-deep, or excuse me, during the uh, pregame, we looked at the two-deep and saw that there are basically 19 dudes that weren't out in warm-ups, and we didn't see everybody that OU had to offer. So when you take all of those into account, you still think that you should hold Missouri State to next to nothing, but I thought it was a great thing for their individual confidence to know that they can pitch a shutout to anybody, let alone just a Missouri State squad, because I don't think that was even in the cards last year, as good as they played. The one thing that I would say about the Texas game, which is the signature game for the defense, was that they gave up 27 points, right? You got nine sacks, you gave up 27 points. That's not a good look, especially when you had DeLaren Turner-Yale and Pat Fields both playing extremely well in that game. So I thought this was a real positive for Oklahoma, and that's as a dude that is the first person to pick on OU and its defense. What do you think? I I think you hit the nail on the head, man. And I think, kind of going off of that, you mentioned the signature game last year for Alex Grinch and the speedy defense was that Texas game. And not only did he give up 27 points, they kind of failed to close that one out. I mean, it got a little close as we creeped into the third and fourth quarter. And I think a lot of people were sitting there wondering, are they going to actually be able to hang on and make sure that this effort doesn't go to waste? 
to see Oklahoma close it out, like you mentioned, and pitch that shutout against a team that they really should have was very encouraging for me because, again, you have guys who are going through the entire fourth quarter of a football game. You have guys on the sideline who are constantly trying to be involved in what's taking place. I don't think that's always been a part of the culture in the past, and I think a lot of people would agree with me in that notion. But for Grinch in year two to put something together for the record books, and especially with some of those key losses, not only from a production standpoint, but from a leadership standpoint, right? I mean, he didn't have Kenneth Murray or Parnell Motley or Neville Gallimore on his sideline with him saying, hey, guys, make sure we finish this thing through. To go through that and still have a zero on the scoreboard is a really big deal. And I think they're only going to benefit from this. They also added that one takeaway. I mean, hey, RJ, one of 24, right? I mean, it's still a big deal whenever you can get a turnover because maybe this is when they create that domino effect. So I think that defensive showing, yes, you don't want to overhype what they were able to do against, like you said, a Missouri State squad that just wasn't very good. But at the same time, I mean, when you consider what we touched on before the game in terms of Missouri State having some bigger framed weapons, when we touched on the fact that, okay, they're losing a ton of production and leadership on that unit, and we've touched on the fact that, hey, we don't really know if they're going to be able to actually go through an entire football game and make sure that they're remaining consistent. To see some of those questions answered, I was very pleased to see what Grinch did in that game against Missouri State. And I think there are some actual things you can take away from the film and from the game result and continue to apply it moving forward. Who came down with that interception but that takeaway? The Larry and Turner Yell, who had to sit out the Peach, game, Peach Bowl game because he broke his arm. It was really great to see him not just play but have the only takeaway in a game where I felt like the takeaway was going to have to come off of a forced fumble because – Jaden Johnson just wasn't going to get that kind of opportunity to throw the ball all the way around. And that's also what led me to thinking about the front seven. We were thinking about it in terms of being depleted, of being young, of being inexperienced. And then you move Isaiah Thomas over to that defensive tackle spot that is normally occupied by Jalen Redmond. We see Brian Asamoah playing the will linebacker position, the same position that Kenneth Murray Jr. played last year, and leads the team in tackle. So we're seeing a pretty interesting but predictable move from Grinch in this way that his middle linebackers are two different kinds of people, right? Deshaun White is actually cerebral, and he is going to be responsible for playing to the strong side. Will linebacker, weak side linebacker, is going to get to rock and fire because that's what Brian Asamoah got to do. He saw a trigger, and he moved. Like, he saw it, he went to it. He saw it, he went to it. And he was sure as a tackler in a way that he wasn't last year. And the last thing that I thought was really great about what Brian Asamoah did was he didn't miss his reads, right? He didn't misread where the play was going. He fit. That was something he couldn't do last year. And I was really starting to doubt whether or not he was going to pick it up. And it seems like he's not only picked it up, but he might be Oklahoma's best tackler this year, not named DeLaron Turner-Hill or Patrick Fields. I'm really glad you brought some of those guys up because to me, all three or four of them were kind of the impact players defensively that I took away from with some really good performances. I think DeLaron Turner Yale kind of got that reputation as a box safety last season. And I get it. I mean, the guy is a very sure tackler. He really does his job when it comes to stuff in the run. And he's a very good help provider 
for the defense. But at the same time, I, I still feel like we're not giving this guy his due when it comes to coverage. And for him to not only miss the Peach Bowl and for that defense to get exposed the way that it was, but then for him to come right back, help Oklahoma with that shutout and record the first interception of the season, I think is just a strong indicator of the fact that DeLaren Turner Gale is going to be a really good football player, a guy who Oklahoma fans cannot underappreciate moving forward. And then Isaiah Thomas, man, you could probably argue he was Oklahoma's best defensive lineman, and he didn't really stuff the stat sheet. And Oklahoma's defensive scheme, you kind of need that. I mean, not always was Neville Gallimore racking up a bunch of tackles or tackles for loss or sacks, but he was shifting attention and allowing other guys to do their job. And I think Isaiah Thomas, how active he was, really provided that presence, a very meaningful presence. And Brian, at the moment, I mean, man, we had heard the entire summer just how good this guy was in camp. He's active, he's quick, he's athletic. You knew that from his high school stuff coming in as a running back in high school, but at the same time, for him to apply that in the defensive standpoint, you got a dude that can fly around. And I think when you lose a guy like Kenneth Murray, who could go sideline to sideline in the blink of an eye, to have a guy like Asamo who could potentially do something similar, Oklahoma's really starting to find ways to, to replace some of those key figures that it lost from a season ago. And you really have to be encouraged by what has been shown so far. No, I'm with you on that. And I would all add getting to see David Aguebu at that middle linebacker position was good. Seeing John Michael Terry healthy was good. Nick Benito also had some things that he did well. If anything, I just wanted to see the corners get tested just a little bit. Specifically, yeah. you know, Jaden Davis, right? But, you know, whatever, fine. Uh, we'll take it and we'll go from there because you get a bye week that is the earliest that I can remember into a season for a good reason. And you also are 1-0 and when the rest of this league – Save Texas, Texas Tech, ain't. So, like, La Tech, uh, yes, La Tech and Baylor got postponed and probably canceled altogether. Baylor's going to play, I believe, Houston. Houston. Right, this Saturday. And then Kansas State gets embarrassed by Arkansas State. Iowa State ranked gets embarrassed by ULL. And then, of course, we watch, <laughs> or I say we watch, I watched Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers. Just go cock-a-doodle-doo <laughs> over the top of the Jayhawks. Goodness me, man. Like, how do you feel about this yeah. league? Man, I, I don't feel good. <laughs> Just to be blunt, I am not in a great standing with the conference right now. And you're talking to a guy who wrote thousands of words in a, a Big 12 preview and then circled right back. And if you guys want to go check out the piece I wrote on OUinsider.com, recapping some of my takeaways from the Big 12 conferences, Pretty disappointing weekend. You could, should go give that a look. But, I mean, I'm kind of worried, RJ. I'm not going to lie. And I think kind of a point that I really want to expand on would be interesting to get your take on this. I mean, there are a lot of people, especially in the Big 12, it seems like, that feel like these non-conference games really don't mean much. But I would argue now more than ever, they mean a ton. And I'm factoring in – what I know about the college football playoff committee and how much they value that extra data point and how did you perform not only early on in the season, but how did you perform against other competitions that can be used as a comparison data point? And I think for the big 12 to be that bad so early on against, honestly, some teams who, yes, they play in the Sun Belt or whatever, but 
those are some pretty decent football teams. For them to just not show up, I have to believe that's going to come back to bite the Big 12 and Oklahoma if it comes down to the nitty-gritty of solidifying that final playoff spot. I think Oklahoma may be in that difficult position where maybe now more than ever, the Big 12 just doesn't look strong. And it's going to be easier than ever before to put a second team from another conference in that Final Four format. And so I'm kind of sweating bullets if I'm in-house for Oklahoma right now. I'm kind of hoping that Baylor, Oklahoma State show me something this weekend and then these teams turn right around and put together some sort of performance that's encouraging because right now OU's just kind of the standalone leader and Texas had a really good showing, but it was against UTEP. So for the top two premier programs in the conference to play basically stinkers and then basically everyone else get dominated by the Sun Belt, I don't know, man. I mean, what do you think? Could this be something that Oklahoma kind of has to sweat? Absolutely. Like, uh, I got to talk with uh, Heather Dinich on ESPN Radio game night. Check me out with Jeff Dickerson on Saturday nights, recapping and reacting in real time to the games. And at the time, we're talking about the Big Ten and we're talking about the return to football or what that might look like, what has to happen. And I asked her straight up, is this the year the Sun Belt or the American get in? And she said, the American probably has a better chance than the Sun Belt does, in large part because we all know who Central Florida is. We know Memphis is good or could be good. We'll see how the COVID situation goes. We know that Cincy has an opportunity to be really great, and the problem that they're going to have is— Right, SMU is going to be really great. We, the, the problem we have, though, is the same one that the Big 12 has. You'll cannibalize each other, right? you got to play ranked teams to be worthy, and if you're beating up ranked teams, they're no longer ranked. That's an Iowa State problem, right? That's the reason that the Big 12 was getting such buzz is because Iowa State— was a national sleeper for the college football playoff. As wild as that seems to say now, that's how it looked last week, right? And then you're looking at the ACC. You know who Clemson is, and people are just going to pencil them in. And if North Carolina were to run the table and lose to Clemson, they got a shot. Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They got a shot. And then I'm going to be stumping for the Sun Belt to keep doing this, man. Like, Appalachian State wants the smoke, They've only lost two games or three games in the last three years. They're all to Georgia Southern. So if no, two to Georgia Southern, one to North Carolina. That's my bad. They beat Georgia Southern. They're going to run the table, right? And they'll get to face a team like ULL that went eleven and three last year. It was really good. Arkansas State gets pounced on by Memphis and then comes from behind to beat Kansas State. That is not a great look for the Big Twelve. I don't think that a Big 12 team gets in unless they go undefeated this year. I don't give a damn if it is Oklahoma and they lose to Texas because you already have this data point to show. And every time we have these discussions throughout the year, we talk about Oklahoma because they close so strongly, right? They, they get the loss in October mm-hmm. and then they go undefeated in November and then they demolish somebody in the Big 12 championship game. They get in. Last year, it was luck. Utah beats Oregon, they're in. They did not. Oregon doesn't lose to Auburn, they're in, right? You look at the Big Ten, right? Ohio State was going to get somebody in. If Wisconsin didn't lose to Illinois, they might have a shot to get in. And then you look at the SEC, and we know who the SEC is. And every time we have these discussions, the SEC is always at the top. And then you put two teams in, and that other team beat Oklahoma. So they justified themselves being there, and you get an SEC title game Part two for the national championship game. No, I'm with you. I think the setback, the Big 12, and if nothing else, I'm looking at it going, 
yo man, Oklahoma, Texas, y'all don't need this. Y'all don't need this. Take it to the SEC, baby. Just, 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 just go. Along with Ohio State, Nebraska, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. Maybe you want to include something like an Iowa or, or, or whatnot. But, like, my God, dude, I, I was pissed. Because I watched all of the Arkansas State-Kansas State game. I'm not a multi-screen type of dude. I want to be able to focus, and then I'll catch up on the rest. I'll try to pick the best game that I can or the one that I think is most important. Oklahoma's going to play Kansas State. Kansas State won seven games last year and beat Oklahoma last year. That's the one that got my attention. I expected Iowa State to demolish Louisiana, and then I look up, and they lost by 17. What? Like, what are we doing? And then I'm, I'm on the radio talking about Clemson beating the hell out of Wake Forest, talking about Florida State being embarrassed by Georgia Tech, and the Chanticleers are destroying <laughs> Kansas. And the Chanticleer players are on the sideline talking about they can't play with us. Holy smokes! What are we doing here? You paid them $200,000 to whip you, Jayhawks. Like, Iowa State paid Louisiana $350,000 they don't have to get beat by 17 points. And, of course, Arkansas State comes from behind running a two-quarterback system against Kansas State to not only beat them in Bill Snyder's family stadium, but to take his money, $550,000 of half a, bill, uh, excuse me, half a million dollars to beat the hell out of you. No. To hell with this league, right? Because, like... Oklahoma gets a win against Missouri State. Big whoop. Texas beats up UTEP like they stole something. Big whoop. We got to depend on West Virginia to carry the banner of the Big 12 because they beat an Eastern Kentucky team that I can't trust to beat Davis, Oklahoma. All right? I don't trust them to beat (laughs) Rhode Island Tech U. They're a two-point underdog against that team. And then add to all of this, The SEC hasn't even played a snap yet, man. And they're still <laughs> right there. I'm going, what, what, why? Why? And on the one hand, we got football to watch. Cool. I'm past that part. You know? I'm on to, yo, look. Maybe none of y'all need to schedule Sunbelt teams ever again. Because I'm the dude looking at North Dakota State going, uh, Alabama, give them a game. And Nick Saban's like, why? We got nothing to gain from that. I mean, we beat them. We're supposed to beat them. They beat us. We're doomed. Because that's what happened to Kansas State. That's what happened to uh, to Iowa State. That's what happened to KU. You know, like even this La Tech Baylor, or excuse me, La Tech, this Houston Baylor game gives me the willies. Hey, say, hey, say, man, it almost happened to Texas Tech, didn't it, too? Golly! <laughs> Houston Baptist? Who the hell is Houston Baptist? 35 33 oh. to Houston Baptist? Like, I love, I, 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 I love my man Gabe. Right, I love Gabe Lynn. Right, his his wife Nicole went to law school at OU. I got to know her just a little bit. Now she's agent to the stars. Like Jalen Hurts on the roster, Quentin Williams on the roster, Gabe Lynn coaching DBs out at Houston Baptist. And yet I looked at that score, and they're like, "Yo, man, Alan Bowman threw for all the yards, but it was a two point game." What? Like, all right, you saw Houston Baptist play North Texas. Are they that good? So let me tell you something, man. That Bailey Zappi kid at quarterback for the Huskies, I can tell you right now, he can ball. I wrote down he would easily be one of the best G5 quarterbacks in the country 
And he should probably be a upgraded quarterback for a lot of Power 5 programs, i.e. Kansas or Wake Forest. But let me tell you something, man. I mean, North Texas put up 57 points on Texas Tech for a reason. That's a bad defensive squad. And he doesn't have much of an offensive line. He's got a couple of receivers. So I wasn't too surprised with some of the offensive production. But for Texas Tech to not only give up that point total, but also to barely score any points, Bad man, like I'm here to tell you, that's really bad. And I'm a guy who would probably advocate for Houston Baptist in those situations. That was another just rough look for the Big Twelve. And I feel like that's that's what it's going to be, right? Because now, let's say Oklahoma goes and drops fifty on Kansas State skull, and Kansas State scores twenty. It's not a good win anymore, right? And that's how I feel about the Iowa State game that's going to come up. And thank God that Texas actually decided it wanted to destroy UTEP. But outside of that, like, what worries me most is that this is the most talented Texas team that I've seen since 2009, right? If they stay healthy and if the schemes actually work, they're going to be good, right? And that OU-Texas game is going to be the best game on the calendar for anybody. But what really we haven't discussed because we haven't had an opportunity to discuss it is what the hell are we going to do with Texas Christian? Because they're not going to, I don't think they're going to play a non-conference game at this particular juncture. And while they have J.D. Spielman, and they have Marcel Brooks, and they have Zach Evans, they ain't got a quarterback. Like, it went from Max Duggan might be the guy, Matthew Baldwin might be the guy, to, no, Max Duggan is out indefinitely, and Matthew Downing hasn't done anything in 10 days. To which Gary Patterson actually used his Twitter for good yesterday to say, hey, look, we started practicing in July. We got to be ready for September 26th. Don't, don't worry about it. Well, I'm worried about it, Gary. I'm worried about it because I've seen your quarterback play. Okay? And I got to depend on y'all to be worth a damn. Come Oklahoma State, come Iowa State, come Texas Tech or whatever, right? Because Oklahoma State's another team that just hasn't played yet. And I... I got to throw my man Reggie Bush under the bus here. He picked Oklahoma State to make the college football playoff. That's a dude from California. That's all I got. That's all I can come up with. Because he basically neglects to, to think about Mike Gundy damn near lost his job over the summer. Because they did not ha- didn't lose his job because they didn't have enough money to, to buy him out. It's a program that is demoralized. It's a program where they've cut everybody's salaries. And then they went to the coaches and said, hey, would you guys take a 15% pay cut? And nine of them said no? What? You got guys making $800,000 a year and they said no? And then the the obvious question was asked, why the hell did y'all give them a choice? So you have all of that going around that Oklahoma State program. And if Tulsa actually can get a, a defensive rush going and can do something about Chuba Hubbard, they're in that game this weekend. Again, it's an OU Texas League. And I feel like it'd be better if Oklahoma and Texas were independents right now. That's where I'm at right now. I'm I'm desperately wanting to blow up the Big 12. Do you want to blow up the Big 12 I, or I want you to play out? I, I'm kind of I'm kind of there with you. I, I'm not going to lie. I was all in on the Big 12 this year. I thought there was a chance for some of the most parity in the conference that we've seen in the past few seasons. And then, of course, this weekend happened. And I'm not really feeling that all much. But at the same time, I just don't – I don't know what's going to take place in the next few weeks. I don't know if it's the 
the COVID offseason to blame. I just don't know if these teams are not as good as we hyped them up to be. I think Oklahoma and Texas are going to have to understand they're, they're going to have to do what they normally have to do and carry this conference on their shoulders and then hope for the best come college football playoff decision day. I think I'm not going to put it past TCU to be a real driver. And, I mean, man, how much would the Big 12 have benefited if TCU and SMU were to play that football game, even if TCU – doesn't win. I mean, at least seeing the conference maybe put together a close football game against a verifiable and low reputation based program probably would have benefited a ton, but who knows? I really just don't know what to make of this conference right now. I would be all for a teardown and restart. It's just, you play with the cards that you're dealt. And I think Oklahoma and Texas have some really great talent on their rosters. Texas is already facing some injury issues. And obviously Oklahoma it probably played the worst opponent of the entire conference this weekend, but it's still going to be those two two programs at the top. And at the end of it all, I mean, I, I think that there's going to have to be some serious reflection if this thing pans out the way that this past weekend indicates. I am going to get off the burn it all down just for a second to say, hey, hey, Link, Link, <laughs> thanks so much. Uh, the family needed that cover. Okay, covering in the first half, always good. Love that. Also love that you know, uh, you, you you kept it, you kept me in it by not going for fifty plus. Right, couldn't get you to hang half a hundred on them, but that, that's all right. Long as we got the cover, we're good. All right, uh, for the rest of y'all, chumps. Like I had Coastal Carolina to cover. I didn't have them to win. God, God, dog. I mean, come on now. Anyway, I want to ask you what game since you know you and I don't really have a bye week. <laughs> What what games are you looking yeah. forward to this weekend? Yeah, man, I got two probably on my mind. I think one of the ones that we've mentioned, I'm really looking forward to this Baylor-Houston game. Man. Like, they were able to put this thing together, and it sounds like SMU wanted a piece of the cake, but these programs were like, nah, let's play each other instead of that. And I'm not going to put it past Baylor to be the next Big 12 team to slip up. I mean, Houston's got a squad. Now, my big thing here is, okay, Baylor lost all three of those dudes on that defensive line, probably one of the most dominant three-man fronts in all of college football from a season ago. And Houston lost both of its starting tackles, who were probably some of the better offensive linemen in the country last year. I mean, Josh Jones is in the NFL, and Jerry Williams is at Miami with this guy, De'Aaron King. So what do the Cougars and Bears do, and what do they look like on those respective sides of the ball? I'm interested, but at the same time, I mean, Clayton Toon, Charlie Brewer, that's a quarterback battle, man. I'm excited for this game this weekend. I think it's a very big game for the Big 12 Conference, one that it definitely needs to right the ship. And then kind of my outside game, man, there are some interesting ones, but how about UCF? Georgia Tech. I yeah. mean, UCF's yeah. got to play Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's feeling itself right now after that big win over Florida State. The comeback effort was put together. Jeff Collins has got that program seemingly – in the right direction after trying to divert from the triple option to the more conventional spread system. So I kind of got my eye on that game, man. I don't know if the Yellow Jackets got another game in them like that, but UCF, it's no cakewalk this weekend for them. You mentioned Charlie Brewer and Clayton Toon. Let's also not forget this is the battle of the Oklahoma State retreads. Uh, Dana Holgerson and Larry Fedora both were offensive coordinators in Stillwater. Both couldn't wait to get the hell up out of the mop tops particular sphere of influence and I'm also going to be watching the mop top in my alma mater the University of Tulsa 
if for nothing else than like the first quarter. If it's a blowout, then that gives me good reason to go just check on Houston and Baylor. But the game that I'm really interested in, as I'm going to keep my eye on Central Florida, Georgia Tech, because Georgia Tech managed to beat Florida State. Florida State ought to set itself on fire. Is not, it's not a Big 12 game, right? It's, it's not even a Power 5 game. It's Appalachian State and Marshall. Because the Marshall team that I saw against Eastern Kentucky, again, Eastern Kentucky, was good with a quarterback that was spinning it. And Appalachian State wasn't expecting to get this kind of a challenge from Marshall. And as a top 25 program in the top 76, 76 teams that are playing, I think they got an opportunity to once again put the world on notice in a year where the field is dwindled, where we're still trying to figure out whether or not the Big Ten is actually going to get a football season going, and there is no Pac-12. They were always my favorite group of five to make it to a college football playoff because they have such tradition to point to in that all we do is win. In the same way that like Central Florida won their 2017 national championship. I think Appalachia State could do that this year. I think there's actually three teams that could do it, and Marshall's one of them. So I'm going to be paying attention to that. And of course, Louisville and Miami is going to get everybody's attention because that is the ABC Saturday night game. One, because that Miami Hurricanes team proved it could run the football. It's UAB, but still, proved it could run the football. They got studs on defense, right? Jalen Phillips, Bubba Bolden, and the like. And then Louisville just is right there with Malik Newman and uh, that really, uh, I want to, it's not putt-putt. It's, it's a very college offense because the way that they run their option is just weird to me, but it works. Scott Satterfield is the dude that put Appalachia State on the map. I love Javian Hawkins. And, you know, quarterback threw for 300-plus yards, again, against nobody. But, hell, Houston Baptist is nobody. And Bailey Zapp went for, what, 576? Something like that. Something stupid where you were, you were going, oh, yep, yep, he, he can play. And, by the way, being in a quarterback duel with a Big 12 quarterback used to be unconscionable because – Big 12 quarterbacks throw for 500 yards. Not everybody else. Now you got, I don't even know what league Houston Baptist plays in. Do you? The, oh, what is it called? South something? Is it I Southland? No Are they a Southland I team? Remember. I think they might be Southland. They're a Southland Ooh. team. My God. SFA is a <laughs> Southland team. SFA lost to, or, yeah, lost to UTEP, as I remember. Yeah, that team's bad. That league, man. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing? What are, what are we doing? <laughs> what is this? You know, I'm, I'm holding oh. out hope for, like, BYU Army to be good. But I have no assurances. And that game get postponed? Are you kidding? I missed <sighs> that. God dog it. What are we... Mm. So now you got to tell it's me that... Rough, man. <laughs> COVID college football. Golly. What a time to live. Nah, man, you're right. So UTEP's got Abilene Christian. North Carolina State's got Wake Forest. That'll be that'll be the suck. Texas State ULM yeah. might be fun. La Tuck, Southern Miss. Well, no, that ain't gonna be no fun because, I mean, Southern Miss doesn't even have a head coach. Florida Atlantic, Georgia Southern. That might actually be fun. That might be good. Hey, say, man, UNT SMU. I'm telling y'all, tune in. It's gonna be the rivalry game of the weekend. Must see television between those two offenses. Oh, man. 
North Texas and Southern Methodist. Like, there's three teams in Dallas that think they're the team in Dallas. What is the team in Dallas? <laughs> You're so right, too. Yeah, uh, like what, what is what, – what is, uh, anyway. Austin P still collecting checks. They get Cincinnati this weekend after getting a running clock against Pitt. Like, we ranked Pitt off of an Austin P win. What are we doing? I don't – what are we doing? You know, I got to watch Syracuse and Pitt after sweating out my cover for North Carolina against Syracuse. I don't know what we're doing, man. All right. Outside of all of this, is there been any player, I say outside of all of this, outside of Oklahoma, that you've been like, no, that dude can play? Because I got to tell you, watching Jonathan Adams destroy Kansas State was delightful. For those that don't know, Jonathan Adams is a two-star recruit from Jonesboro, Arkansas, and his only college football offer was from Arkansas State. And that dude was out there like Josh Gordon, just just ripping people apart in a two-quarterback system. I'm saying, you know, just pick a dude and let Josh Adams eat because, or Josh, Jonathan Adams eat. And that would have been so much fun to watch. Was there a guy that just kind of jumped out to you? I mean, maybe it's Bailey Zapp, maybe it's not. I'll tell you, it would probably be Bailey Zappi, but I'm not trying to even be funny there either. But I would say there were a couple. Obviously, I tried to watch as many of the Big 12 games this weekend and take notes. I was really a big fan of what I saw from Jaquan Bailey, him coming back. He had some injury issues. Wyatt Hubert looks pretty solid for K-State. And I'll tell you who really jumped out at me, RJ. This would probably be my number one pick. K-State's got something with Deuce Vaughn, man. They got something with Deuce Vaughn. He's it. lightning in a bottle. Said it. <laughs> Darren Sproles light. Nah, he's good. I was going to hand that to you. We were both kind of like, hey, Deuce Vaughn could be could be something special for the Wildcats. And I'm telling you, man, I, I'm really excited to see what he does, not only this year, but in the years coming forth. I, I think Kansas State, if they can figure out how to utilize him correctly, They've got some guys on that roster. It just wasn't all put together this past weekend. That offensive line's got to get better real quick. Deuce Vaughn was probably my surprise pick of the weekend. He looked as good as advertised coming out of camp. Bailey Zapp, E. Bailey Zapp, E. Houston Baptist Huskies, which means that we got Huskies in a climate that is not conducive to them performing well, and yet <laughs> Bailey is thrown for 1,047 yards in two games. What the hell? Like, that is that's that is the college football passing leader. Okay. I, I, I give up, man. I get, I get a wild football season. I was not prepared for all the teams that I watch to suck. And I'm going to watch the yeah. SEC beat up on itself, and I can only root for carnage. I can only root for Arkansas State – or Arkansas State, excuse me, Arkansas to, to win a few that Mississippi State is able to get past LSU. Or, you know, just let's, let's make the whole thing bizarre and weird. Um, Colin, is there anything you want to discuss that we haven't? Nah, man. I think that just about does it. It's going to be a lot of fun this season. I'm glad we get to talk ball every week, man. It's a whole lot of fun. Right on. That is Colin Kennedy. Follow him on the Twitters at CKennedy247. That is CKennedy247. I have deleted my Twitter account. If you are VIP member at OUinsider.com, our heartfelt thanks. If you are not, what the hell are you waiting for? 60% 60% off. I, I, I'm dropping notes. Kennedy's dropping notes. Drum's dropping notes. The carousel continues to turn. 
And I don't know if you noticed or not, but Oklahoma is one of the 76 teams that is playing football this year. Maybe take advantage. That is going to do it for us. We will talk to you guys in a week. Deuces.